Connors T. How are ye? Welcome to the Candle of Tales podcast, episode 52. We are breathing life back into Irish myths with traditional Irish storytelling accompanied by music. My name is Aaron Hegarty. I'm one of the co-founders of Candle of Tales. And in this episode, you'll be hearing our discussion about Nile of the Nine Hostages, which was live streamed on YouTube only just this weekend. We live stream these conversations on YouTube on Sunday at 7pm Irish time to chat about the myths and the themes and all those things in between. So join in the conversation next week if you'd like. Now this week was very special because we were getting to do the very first collaboration with another podcast. We teamed up with the Shy Talkers. Shy Talk, an Irish history podcast, was done by Kevin Larney and Jason Brennan. And they do great stuff. And it was great to have their point of view on the history of this character. So it was a lot of fun. Now, stay tuned and we'll get to them very shortly. Before that, I'd just like to say we wouldn't be able to continue to make these podcasts without the support of our patrons, which we are very grateful for. So thank you, each and every one of you. If you'd like to contribute, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash candlelittales. Or you can just like, subscribe, share or leave a review if you like what we do. <laughs> it all makes a difference. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's very enjoyable conversation where we teamed up with the Shy Talkers. Jason Brennan and Kevin Larney, I'm delighted to have you on. You're the Shite Talkers Irish History Podcast. As I love the podcast that you're doing. I was way in Thank Spain filming Thank last you. week and I was felt homesick and I was I wanted a bit of homeliness and the uh, Kit Harrington story you were telling was brilliant. It was fantastic. Very funny, very informative. And just a bit bit of homeliness and proper shite talk, shite talk so thank you so much lads <laughs> well no, cheers no I'll, I'll, I'll speak for Kevin say that uh, I can see in his face that he was just as apprehensive <laughs> of being called a historian as I was <laughs> I was sweating after that comic I'll take it uh, podcaster yes historian uh, it's, oh, it's open into libel I think. with those words yeah. <laughs> you might get the real historians after you and that'd be terrifying exactly yeah. they do not mess around I think history buff, history enthusiast, you know, storyteller, yes. yeah. you know, it's all about that kind of stuff. And I think you, you have a fairly obvious uh, kind of segue into the fact that you're not necessarily very academic about it because you call yourself <laughs> shy talkers. So it's yeah. okay, you get away with it. Yeah, so. yeah. You, you'd think so, but then like a week will not go by without someone <laughs> like just emailing in, giving out to us about things that were wrong. <laughs> And like it's or or the opposite when people are like, you know, it's a really good podcast, but the name is just so offensive. And you're like, really? This is like in 2020, this is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Don't they know that when you put an E on the end of a swear word, it's not yeah. a swear word anymore? Well, yeah. it's in the Irish way for time out of mind, like <laughs> absolutely. Um, Come here, Jason. You're over in Texas. Thanks for joining in. From what is it, two o'clock over there? I hope all things are going well. And you're filming over mm. there and doing all sorts of interesting stuff. So thanks for coming in there. I hope the COVID genetic isn't too serious over there. Well, presumably, probably is. It is, but people tend to not uh, like you know acknowledge its existence, and they just kind of it's it's not great. But uh, it's one o'clock in the day, and it's thirty degrees outside, so I can't complain. <laughs> oh, I'm alright. It's <laughs> well, it was pissing rain here in Dublin all day. I've had dirty day. three three COVID tests this week. And they got this week on just because I was over and back to Spain, which is not on a green list at all. And so it's still recommended that I'm staying put and not talking to two or you know out in the world. So we're taking things as seriously as we can be. But luckily, we have history mythology, and lots of shy talk to keep ourselves entertained in all of this. Now, Surika, can you, for those of us who aren't familiar with the story, give us a brief recap of last week's, or this week's story, Nile of the Nine yeah. Hostages? Well, this week's story, Nile of the Nine Hostages, Nile is one of those kings that um, all of the other kings claim descent from, and actually I think Brian Baru, but I'm going to let the lads talk more about the historical relevance. He was a really kind of pivotal king on that cusp of history and mythology because of course in Ireland we didn't have written records we had oral records so 
history was communicated in, in stories. And the story of Niall is one of, he's the son of a king and his mother is a hostage uh, or a slave. And it's a little bit dodgy. I think you told it nicely that, that everybody was very consenting and it was all above board, but I don't know that it was. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a choice. Um, but <laughs> she was also highly persecuted by uh, the King Uki's wife, Mongfin, who's kind of the villain of this piece a little bit. She seems to have been the real power in that relationship. And she had four sons and she wanted one of her sons to be the next king. And Niall was, uh, there were a few different things that kind of linked him to the mythic idea of kingship. He was born onto the grass, which is something you see in Cormac McGart as well and kind of other mythic kings. There's a peal of thunder when he's born. His mother is a water carrier, which is this whole kind of life, life-giving association. And he's raised by a poet called Torna. And there is that kind of thing of like the lost prince who comes back to reclaim his place. And the first thing he does is put his mother up in a high place and dress her in purple robes. And then the rest of the story is kind of a series of tests against his four half-brothers, uh, instigated by their mother, Mongfin, who's like trying to push her husband, who seems a bit spineless in the story, let's be fair, he, like trying to push him into choosing an heir and, and naming a successor, and he doesn't want to. The implication being that he wants to name Niall, but he also doesn't want to fight with his wife. And uh, so they do these this series of tests. Niall wins the forge test by carrying uh, an anvil out as opposed to grabbing any of the tools or the beer like some of his half-brothers do. Because <laughs> um, what you grab from a burning forge is apparently going to dictate what you should do in life. And then they have a hunt. And on the hunt, they get lost in the wilderness and there's no water. And the only water that any of them could find is from a well guarded by a kayak, a hag. And she's very hideous. And she says she'll only give them water if they kiss her. And none of them will kiss her, except Niall, who says, I will go one better and lays her down in the ground and makes sweet, sweet love to her. And you and I always differ in the telling of this story, Aaron, in our, cho in, in our choice of when she transforms from hag into beautiful maiden. <laughs> Because you always go after the kiss, but before the sex. And I'm always like, no, mm. a true king, a real king. He king has to lie down with the hag. That's what it takes, man. Wow. Um, but she transforms into a beautiful young woman. And in some versions of the story, she like explains that she is a metaphor for sovereignty, which I always feel is a little bit on the nose. So we usually leave that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> And, and because he's able to bring water back to the brothers, which again, you know, life-giving mythic thing, like the mother at the beginning, um, they acknowledge him as, as the true king. And when they go back, Mongfin can do nothing because all of them are like, well, he's the true king. We, we, we made a deal. And that's the cool. story. That's how he becomes the king. And all of the other high kings then are descended from Nile because in order to be king, you had to be the son of a king. That's a little bit confusing, actually, and I don't know a huge amount about it, except what we hear about from myths. That's why we have the lads on board. Now, look, we're going to go through this. There's a few, I have a few questions. I always have a few questions. Most of this doesn't make sense to me. I love it as a story. I took some poetic licenses with the things, you know. I chose to have a loving relationship between the potentially rapey king and the slave woman. Uh, I decided, you know, and, you know, the hag is always turned into the beautiful person before the sex. That's just my choice. That's the way I tell stories. Now, I'm, I'm a romantic at heart. I can't help it. Uh -huh, Listen, I know. Kevin... You were telling, you were looking up Oki Mugmudan, which is again a great name for a king, isn't it? Um, it is. Well, he's yes. a, bit of a bit of a wimp. Go ahead. Um, oh, we're looking up. Well, first of all, uh, I thought the big issue for tonight would be the pronunciations of things. So we're going with Oki Mugmudan. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. Uh, and I, I agree with Sorshi. He did some very. You uh, very much romanticised the, and then he took in the hostage and oh. For the days they fell in love, and it was a loving, consenting relationship. Um, I didn't use the word consenting, know. but no, was, you no. didn't. Neither, neither it was did implied. He. It yeah. Was, yeah, there was an implication. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but was uh, well, so I suppose we'll start. We'll start at the start. I guess the the history. So the sources of where this story comes from 
And so she's right. Like it is that meeting point between mythology and history and that from his sons on and maybe more so his grandsons seems to be properly tracked. And that's sort of where the hiking lineage starts. But he's unfortunate in that he came around the time when St. Patrick came around. Um, so like the story comes from, there's a couple of sources, the Annals of Inish Fallen, um, which says that he died in 3082. And the, so that book was written in the year 1092, so well afterwards. Uh, there's another one, the Chronicum Scotorum, which is written again in like 1150. <laughs> I'm glad whoa, you laughed whoa, at that. Whoa, yeah, whoa, I know. Okay. Was it written on a scrotum? It was the, the scrotum chronicles. It chronicled all the scrotums from modern day all the way back to the year 300. Uh, I'll tell uh, and you it this. Said, wow. In the notes that Kevin sent me, he had it written. <laughs> <laughs> he had it in, in parentheses directly afterwards. It said scrotum chronicles. <laughs> See, I knew when I sent you my notes, I was revealing too much about my writing yeah. process because we don't share notes on our thing. But I, yeah, it says Chronica Scrotum and then Scrotum Chronicles afterwards. But I really so, want to say you can discount the Scrotum Chronicles because it's all a load of bollocks. But I feel like yes. that's such a cheap joke that I shouldn't say it, but I did. Uh, <laughs> it's there. It's done. You did it. Yeah. So, um, you just had to let it fall like that. <laughs> but uh, so, according to that, it says he dies around 411. And then the Annals of the Masters, the Annals of the Four Masters say it's around 379. But all these books are written like, you know, 500 to 1,000 years afterwards. And modern scholars like uh, myself and Jason Brennan there um, reckon that all this has moved forward to accompany the mythos of St. Patrick. Because uh, Patrick's two earliest, this is a word I learned this week, hagographers. Hagri- who write hagographies. It sounds like you learned it that well. I didn't learn it that well, you know. <laughs> I, I learned it up here. I haven't learned it in the mouth yet. But there, it means a story of a life of a saint is a hagography, apparently. So these two lads uh, wrote the story of St. Patrick, and they wrote into the story that Patrick meets with Niall's son. One of Niall's sons is the High King of Tara when he arrives, uh, Ligaira McNeil. So he's supposedly the first High King to be baptised, Dodo. But since they claim that he met uh, Niall's son and that they also claim that St. Patrick died around, one of them says 1461, the other says 493, uh, sorry, 461 and 493. So already they're not right. But for some reason, all the other books written afterwards don't want to contradict. This is like, you know, hagography. This is the word of St. Patrick. So they must be right, even though they're already wrong between the two of them. Both of them. And because Both they're talking to right. Niall's son, sorry? Both of them must be right, even though they Both directly must contradict right. each other. Exactly, yes. So then because they're talking to Niall's son, obviously Niall couldn't uh, still be around. So he couldn't still be the High King, so everyone gets moved back. But uh, So they reckon all this stuff is out by about 500 years. Um, which That's considerable. That is, that is, but back that far, I mean, you know, what's a couple of decades, what's a couple of centuries between mates when they're writing these things? But um, yeah. Well, I think that before before you go on with the actual history, I think it's worth trying to like just pick apart for a moment what a myth is versus a historic story. Because like sometimes I kind of get stuck. I'm like, okay, so we we know our Irish history very well in the last hundred years. After that, we kind of know a rough kind of six to eight hundred. Like well, we know fairly well. And and then after that, things become legends. They become uh, folk tales. They become kind of in the culture of the people. But then a myth is something that lasts a bit longer and is that much more culturally significant. And then you have this blurry line, which is obviously dating long enough back, where you have historic figures that seem to blend into uh, myth or become like characters that are strong enough that should be remembered. And I don't know, sir. Can you kind of? distinguish a little bit more between like really old historic figures and mythic stories? I don't know. See, I think it's all about the writing stuff down. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, as you're saying, there there can be contradictions in the written sources, but like there's a reason historians look for written sources. You know, you've got your primary and your secondary sources of like, you know, the best thing is a diary that's written at the time by a person who lived through. And like, you know, there's kind of almost a hierarchy of how credible things are. But they can still contradict each other. But, you know, Ireland, 
Ireland's unusual in that we developed writing very late. Like we didn't um, put a lot of mass in writing <laughs> for a long time because you remembered stuff. That was the point. And that was the kind of thing with the, with the, the, the educated classes in Ireland. It was about remembering stuff. It wasn't about writing stuff down. So when stories are, are in the oral tradition, um, I think it's easier to make them, obviously to adapt them and change them over time because that, that seems to happen. Um, whereas when they're written down, as much as people can embroider and, you know, hagographers can make things seem more miraculous than they were. I don't know that word either. We're learning together. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it is a blurry line though, because I think a lot of the time when people are writing stuff down for the first time, they're, they're transcribing a myth or they're transcribing a story that's been heard and maybe transcribing a, a legend. So uh, it's a, it's mm. a funny one. Yeah. Uh, Jason, do you have any opinions between myth and, and history and shy talk in between? Uh, like, I, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like with Irish people, it's just a case of Chinese whispers where, like, it might have been true at some point, but then it just got like the story gets elongated and then you start bringing in wolves and slitters and fire. And you're like, it really was one guy fought a lad beside a wall and then within like <laughs> 10, 10 people, and all of a sudden it's, it's like, it's the giant's causeway and there's like, it's the fury of hell. And you're like, it's, I don't know, lads, I don't think so. And a Giant is just someone over 5'8", in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> potentially, potentially. All right, sorry, Kevin. Back to you. you I, I, I hope you're kind of getting towards uh, Oki Mugmadon at some stage, because I just love how you say it in your own By the way, on pronunciation, we don't know. We don't know how to pronounce any of these names. We're pronouncing them how we learned Irish in school. And if you look into kind of different pronunciations of them, there are lots of different ways of pronouncing them. So I'm not like, we're not sure. Oh, yeah. And it's just going to change depending where you are in Ireland anyway. So. That's my excuse is like, well, I have Munster Irish. So I say it this way. I don't really have much Irish at all. <laughs> I have I have very broken Carlo Irish, which is to say none at all. And so I'm kind of I I phonetically spelled all of this in my notes, and now I'm glad I didn't send them to Kev so he could call me out on a live stream. But <laughs> I t I phonetically spelled them out the way that Aaron was saying them, and then when I was talking to him afterwards, he was like, "Oh, not at all. I don't know. I said, it's just making it up as I go along." But um, no, so. <laughs> So, Oki Magdon, uh, yeah, he has, he has four children with Mongfind. Well, his name supposedly comes from uh, the Irish for slave lord. Uh, apparently, that's what Magdon means, which you kind of left that out, I suppose, in the rosy retelling of uh, his, his <laughs> where he came from. Old Oki, okay. the slave lord. Oki, the uh, slave lord, with his beautiful, yes. consensual relationships with slave girls. Yes. Uh, so above board. <laughs> is it but then, Mugmadon? I thought it was Magdalene. <laughs> it's a, a <laughs> different thing. Different. It is echoes through history. So okay. then, um, well, so this is, I think, where like so Nile of the Nine Hostages. The name comes from one of the legends is that uh, you covered it that he takes a hostage in order to get fealty. He takes a hostage from uh, some. Uh, I suppose the son of a lord from each of the provinces and then France, Scotland, England as well, which seems he took that from his old man. Uh, and you kind of tied it in together as well that like he got the idea from the fact that his mother was enslaved and he thought, There's, that's, a, that's a good idea. I'll up the ante and get nine of them. But, yeah, that uh, went well. <laughs> that, that went, went so, so well, well, yes. <laughs> she had such a nice time of it that I think uh, I'll do the same myself. But, but he turned read, out so well that maybe he was like, nine more of me. He was thinking like Elon Musk. Like, I know how to save the world. Yes. <laughs> Just clone me nine times. Yeah. Um, Nothing could go wrong with that idea. Yeah, sure. But I'd read another, another possible origin for his name is that, uh, so there was the kingdom of Aragelia, which was next to the O'Neill's kingdom. And it was made up, it's made up of like modern Armagh, Mana and Loud, Fermanagh, Throne. It's basically, it translates into English as Oriel, which does show up like a lot. Like I'm from Dundalk and the name Oriel shows up around there. 
the Dundalk football grounds is Oriel Park. And I was getting really excited when I was reading this. I was like, this is all tying in together. And then uh, the reason it ties into Nile the Nine hostages is that they reckon Argelia comes from the Irish, meaning those who give hostages or the hostage givers. And that there's nine tribes that made up Argelia. So they reckon he could have also just taken a hostage from each one of them to keep their fealty. And that's where the nine came from. So kind of like the Hunger Games. Sort of, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just thinking of next time you're in Oriel Park supporting Dundalk FC. It's the proud tradition of handing over hostages to lads from Donegal. But just take the child, take the child, and leave us alone. He's a head wrecker anyway. We don't need that one. We've got a yes. spare one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why they were having so many kids back then. She had to give one denial every time he came around. Um, exactly. Just take a hostage. Right. Leave us in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can even see the like the the, the I nearly said the modern day. I mean, modern day TV um, similarity with that is obviously Game of Thrones, where the Starks have the prisoner, and it's like, oh, that's such an interesting idea. It's just plucked straight from yeah this type of thing, which is obviously done then. In and it's kind of like in the story, it makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, but like actually to have. This is a, there was a king who was a slave lord and there was actually, this was a thing, a way of keeping peace between people. Really, mm. guys? Yeah. Wow. That, that's what, I didn't understand that because it's like, I'm going to keep peace by keeping someone that you want away from you and then yeah. <laughs> keeping them as a slave and making them do a bunch of work. You're like, okay, we won't cause any problems as long as you keep <laughs> promising to mistreat her. <laughs> <laughs> now when you say it like that there is a there is a yeah. little flaw in this one already. <laughs> this is, How is, this? is she doing is she doing all right over there well we've got her pregnant she's lifting water up and down the hill she's doing grand you stay well, where you are over there don't make know. her lift that water up the hill twice a day <laughs> double that work rate yeah <laughs> exactly um, you gotta keep her fit we want her fit and trim when she comes back now we don't want her turning into a slouch yeah <laughs> make sure you give her a good workout but uh, <laughs> so so Mugmadon's uh, is 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 his first wife, Mongfint. Although are they first wives because they're like concurrent. So I'm not sure. But then, so so well the second. Yeah, I mean, wife, she, she, sorry, oh, sorry Mongfint. Yeah, no, Mongfint just seems to be a bit of a fiend. Uh, she yeah. seems to be the <laughs> the woman that has the real power behind the king. Mm. And in in every little beat of the story, every time. Uh, the husband, the king, has a chance to stand up to her. He doesn't, and she shows the real kind of power. Maybe again, it's a, kind of uh, an aspect of the matriarchy having uh, the power uh, beside the patriarchal kind of a thing, which is slightly more even at this time. Uh, potentially, Sarah, do, do you want to jump in on this? I don't know. I just things. think she's a lady who's in charge and doesn't want to stop being in charge. Yeah. Like she's in charge through her husband who does seem like he doesn't, he, he, at every opportunity that he has to stand up to her and tell her to feck off, he, he gloriously refuses to take it. And yeah, it's, uh, Seems like he and has no when, backbone at all, like whatsoever, apart from the very first decision he makes where it's like, I want a second wife. And she's like, I don't like that. He's like, I'm going to do it anyway. But from this point onwards, whatever you say goes. <laughs> you, you want to mistreat my second wife horribly and make her carry water for the entire Hill of Tara? Okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think he's the bad guy in this. I think it's, oh, uh, history's 100%. been way too thing And it's like, he's just lying to her where she's like, can you get your other wife to stop being so mean to me? I've tried. I've tried so much. She won't. She she just, she won't do it. Jesus. I, I shan't hear another then. bad word about Mr. Slave Lord. I think he's been mistreated <laughs> on this podcast long enough. I'm going to step in for my clients now. We've got to defend uh, Mr. Slave Lord. It's his Mr. old name. <laughs> Mr. Slave Lord, as he chose his moniker. But um, so <laughs> his, well, his second, his second wife then, uh, Karen Kashtov, you'd said, uh, so in all the, in all the um, sources we talked about at the start, she is referred to as the daughter of the Saxons, the daughter of King Sachel Bulb, uh, King of the Saxons, which is a great name. That's but, a great name. Um, yeah, the, the Satchel Bob. But um, because of the 500-year timeline shenanigans, uh, he wouldn't have been a Saxon and she wouldn't have been the daughter of a Saxon king at all. Like, the, the Saxons didn't arrive in England until the 450s and didn't, arrive, didn't invade Ireland until 684. So 
by the time the stories are written, it seems like they just like recast the villain to give it a modern feel for the times. <laughs> uh, so apparently the Sax- Saxons are a Germanic tribe and the name comes from a long type of knife that they used to use called the sex. So obviously they were just like, it was the knife guys. We need a modern villain for modern audiences. No one cares about, you know, Satchel Balb. He's now king of the Saxons uh, and she's the daughter. Wow. She probably was the that- daughter of some lord from Britain, but uh, it wasn't the old Saxons. Yeah, yeah. calling shenanigans straight away in the historical relevance of all of the rest of this. Shenanigans, shenanigans. Shenanigans <laughs> for this. There's many shenanigans in this story. So she wasn't a Saxon at all because no. they hadn't arrived yet. Or else no. she was a Saxon, but they pushed the story too far back to fit in with other things. Um, no, I think she was a bit, uh, probably about 100 years off of oh, making so sense to be a Saxon. She's 100 years She was off. very lost. <laughs> <laughs> she wandered far from Saxon territory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're the knife people. You'll know all about us in 150 or so years. We're coming. But, I like um, that, the knife people. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, Karen Cash, though, again, she gets pretty badly, badly treated. I, I, I do find it interesting that, like, the she's clearly like horribly mistreated she's so terrified of the wife of the king that she literally has gives birth and runs away from the child how traumatized must she be as a mother not to pick up her own child like very yeah. traumatized aaron i don't think it was as romantic as you made it out to be yeah <laughs> but yeah. when she when she does that that's at the, that's basically the point where i'm like right so we we've someone's lying at this stage or something someone's been misrepresented because either the king's a terrible person we know he is anyway like does anyone feel that Monkfin's getting like scapegoated that it's like it's made like she's just like not that bad and he's a dick oh no i think she's i think she's an asshole as well Probably is, but most of the decisions that she makes is like, I wouldn't be happy with the second wife of my husband. Because <laughs> I think that's a like a normal human reaction to it. Yes. <laughs> no, like, I think he I think he's 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 definitely absolutely awful. I don't think she's nice. <laughs> I don't know, I'm a newfound feminist. I've gotta like it's it's not her fault. Listen, I love a bad bitch always, and she is a bad bitch. But like well, apparently uh <laughs> Mongfin, I suppose that's common to her. So supposedly there's ties to her and uh, Sauron. And really? apparently Sauron was also known as, uh, I've had written years, the, yeah, the festival of Mongfin early on. So she might be like the original bad bitch, the bitch so bad she caused the spookiest holiday of them all. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What's, like what's Kashtov done? Yeah. Other than give birth to a child and then run away. Carry some water. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, I, I am interested to hear that uh, Mong Finn, uh, the, the I think it was the fair hair, the or the white hairs was the translation of her. Um, but yes. yeah, it's the hill of sound, wasn't it? That she um, had some association with. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't exactly know what the link in, but it's interesting to hear that she was yeah. again maybe placed as a. a goddess or a representative of of Sowen up there I'm not sure yeah we look into it um, <laughs> that'll be another one but she um, also maybe she just like took over Sowen maybe she was like hey there's a party it's Celtic New Year I am the most important woman in Ireland mine now yeah no possible <laughs> um I I liked <laughs> I liked her setting up the tests for the kids and then as soon as the result came back immediately just saying no uh, do another one but yeah. she, she went to was. Trump she was like I, she will, did, not, yeah. I will not respect no. the results of the election <laughs> yes these are not what I wanted again please but, so is there is that a thing in Irish mythology what was the story with the burning forge like is that I love what's that. the significance of that so, I love, that I love so this. Like, Sipkin is just such an interesting. So yeah, sort of you take this. Like in terms of the druid being the person who everyone respects, and 
he just I don't know he sounds mental like I basically read him pretty mentally yeah. and you, mental. you made him sound so mental in the story as well with the voice <laughs> like this mad old man who's like yeah. go in the forge it's on fire now <laughs> <laughs> if we're gonna throw shade at the druid what's Torna up to he's just some poet walking around like the, the countryside picking up a baby going all Lion King with it looking for discarded babies by the side of the road as you do <laughs> and then he just runs away with the kid and then not much is known about how he raised the kid yeah, there's like a whole chapter there yeah. missing. It's like, yeah. don't know what happened there. He was raised well. Seems <laughs> legit. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, I love to test because it's such a kind of like, he's such a trickster. It, to answer your question, no, it was not a thing. It was not a are you thing. Sure, are you sure? No. That seems like it should have been a th- Thing, I, I feel it's like pretty... it should be a thing. I think that's an excellent way to choose a leader. Just like oh, tell yeah. them they're getting one test and then set the building on fire and see what they do. When I was listening, <laughs> I paused the podcast just to check to see how long was left because my guess was that none of them were fit to be king and no one <laughs> opened the door to the barn. <laughs> and then that's just like, okay, let's make a new one, a new batch, a new cake. Yeah, well, and you were throwing shade at, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them takes the sticks, the bundle of sticks out of the fire. And you were like, oh, he's, he's, it means he's uh, feeble and unfit to be a leader. He's trying to stop the fire, Aaron. You're not going to leave a bunch of fuel in a burning building <laughs> by the gasoline tanks and the pile of wood and then you giving him a shtick about it. Hey, look, it's not me giving him a stick. It's crazy Sitkin, all right? That yeah. guy was mental. Also, why exactly is the test to see what they will bring out of the burning building? I mean, surely yeah. they get themselves out of the building. If you think about it, it makes crazy druid logic. It makes crazy druid sense. Because I'm, you're under yeah. pressure. Forges were sacred. Mm. That's actually probably a relevant detail. Forges sure. were considered sacred. To but the still camp. able to be burnt down. <laughs> yeah. To prove a point. So he, <laughs> like they're not that sacred um, <laughs> <laughs> it were all shoved into a forge and the test was when you were under pressure for your life what is your instinct to save and if you just save yourself then you're not you shouldn't be a king because kings yeah. have to take care of everybody else and if you save the beer I love how your man is then like okay you're in charge of art because being <laughs> art science I would have put him in charge of the FAI but uh, why? What was why did he brought out uh, beer and what was the other thing? Because I looked a bellows. Up, a bellows is that some? It was is that like a, yeah. an accordion? Because the way I was looking at it, it was like something to stoke a fire. I yeah. was like, that's almost worse than the guy bringing out the uh, <laughs> the wood. He's like, just in case we really want to make this thing light. <laughs> but I love like, the bellows. In, yeah, so in the story, you said Fiacre emerged with a bellows and a pail of beer and Sitkin says you uphold the beauty and the science of the people he doesn't say which is which I assume the rest <laughs> of that line was you've uphold the beauty and the science of the people and also you've got a bellows the beer is all that matters it's- I'm pretty sure the bellows yeah. was, the beer was a lot of what mattered because beer yeah. is art and science you know exactly yes beauty and culture Beauty did and you, culture. Did you think that the druid was like just making everything up on the spot as someone would Absolutely. walk out with like, uh, that would be a representation of, it sounded like a, like a junior sort of English student tried to guess their way through a novel. <laughs> well, I think you'll find this represents um, art and science for some reason. I don't know why, it's a metaphor, go with me. Uh, you, yes. You brought out an anvil, therefore you shall be Bugs Bunny. Like what's the, like, but why well, was he so specific with everybody else and then Fergus came out and he's obviously an idiot most people would just be nice to him and be like oh Fergus you'll be a man of the people he's like Fergus you're impotent you'll never make anybody happy you'll die alone and everyone hates you fuck off Oh, he had to have one bad one. Yeah, have one, yeah. have one bad one, or else people wouldn't take him seriously. You know, like he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to hang with one of these guys to try." <laughs> Which way would it be? Stick that. But like, who's, uh, who's the who's the brother that brings out the chest of drawers, the chest of uh, like a weapons? Mm. Oh, Oliel. Rian, isn't it? Why? Oliel. I think it's Oliel. Like, Oliel. Bring, bring the hammer. He's gonna fight the fire. 
If your number one enemy now is fire and you're you're staying longer in it to bring out weapons from it, that won't probably no, he's an idiot. If you got locked in a burning building, you're wanna go you're gonna wanna come out with an axe or a sword or something to get a bit of revenge, you know. Yeah. yeah, I like I like that his instinct is like you, you, I thought that was actually pretty apt. It was like, well, if your if your only instinct in a burning building is save the knives, you're yeah. definitely some kind of fucking psycho. So let's sure. make you vengeance, man. Yeah. Oh, most of them came out with uh, with objects that I would have been like, lock that fella up. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so so then the second test, and I know you were debating about. Uh, when does the deed get done? Is it post or uh, pre-hagification? But yeah. the real question is, what is the relationship between shifting eld ones and ruling the country? <laughs> Where is... What's the line? Uh, I mean... We, we might not be allowed to say on this podcast, but you very well know, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you know how things get done in this nation. <laughs> it's brown envelopes and shifting hags. That's, that's our... <laughs> Ah, Ireland. What's that? Well, I, I think it's what, so. Whatever about like, so, I, I do at least like the fact that like Sipkin kind of lands it with like, oh, sweet, now he came out with the anvil. That's definitely a thing that makes sense. You know, things get struck. Well, yeah, yeah, that 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 works. He'll shape the country. Great, fantastic. And then when when Mangpin decides to be a bit of a dick about it, uh, he has to come up with this other one. And again, we have the whole magic element of, of you know, they're in the forest and they're already thirsty. And we've talked quite a lot about the hag and the kaliak coming up again and again, Surika. And I guess this is like, you're, you're, it's the trope of the story. It's like we're back into a magic kind of intervention here and we're waiting for the mystic thing to be revealed. And it's that test to overcome, I think, the... The, the 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 human aspect of not wanting to go into the the grime or the dirt or the unpleasantness of what ruling would entail and Niall I guess that's the metaphor Niall having the able body mindset to kind of go go ahead with it and do the deed as it were uh, yeah, I don't know so done. could you have a better answer. <laughs> Well, I think I think there's a couple of things with the Kyliuks because they are like Kyliuk comes up. There's a Kyliuk in nearly every one of the King stories um, that we've we've had so far because they just they just crop up. There 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 are these strange old hags wandering around the place in Mythic Ireland, and uh, sometimes they're beautiful women in disguise, and sometimes the beautiful women are Kyliuks in disguise. So you really need to watch yourself, um, which is what happened in the the Mongan story last week. So Kyliuks are definitely um they're definitely something they're not always magical druids from the other world who are here to trick you into either prosperity or doom but they're definitely they're you're not safe to assume that they're not so uh the kyliuk there's also kind of a whole thing about um there being a, a, a symbolic like mating with the land that the king has to do in Celtic times and that this was sort of something of a, maybe some kind of a ritual that people had to do where the king had to mate with the land and that and, and in the story where the, the metaphor is kind of explained a bit more, what she says to him is she calls herself sovereignty and she says sovereignty is ugly in the getting but beautiful in the keeping. So it's uh, it's you know it's not pleasant to catch hold of it. But once you have it, it's great. So it is that kind of thing of like if you can get through the thing that is unpleasant, which in this case is shagging an out one. Yeah, uh, who is by the way is like war, like war and independence is yeah. <laughs> riding an out yeah. one. <laughs> exactly. And the then the boom in thirties and forties is the young one. <laughs> Exactly. But it is that thing of like, as well, it's kind of when the true king comes, the land is renewed. So like, you know, maybe she needs the perfect young king to come or, come along for her youth to be restored. I don't, there's a lot of ways you could read it. But uh, oh, yeah. The hag got her groove back. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but Just needed a man who'd look beyond the fact that she had mossy teeth sticking out in different directions and see the inner beauty. 
Uh, uh, are we? Did we decide uh, whether she turned beautiful after the kiss or the riding? Did we get to the bottom of that? I yeah. I'd say after. But then, especially with the metaphor, then yeah, it'd, be the, the, it'd he, be the first case ever of going to bed with someone, waking up the next morning, and going, "Oh, they're better looking than I thought they were." <laughs> <laughs> This usually goes the opposite way around. Wow, this is, this is a lot better than I thought of them. I want to stay for seconds. Yeah, well, I suppose if, if you end up waking up thinking that, then you realize that the other person is thinking the opposite of you. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there a version of the story where the sovereignty of Ireland wakes up and goes, ooh, ouch, uh, Niall, not, oh, as, not as hot as I remember from last night. Oh, my head. You're the hostage-taking fella, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Arr, whoops. Uh-oh. Uh, Your goggles. A bit of long drought. A bit of dry spell. So <laughs> well, I, go ahead, Kev. Uh, no, I was just going to say, because the guy who takes the beer out of the forge, he does peck her on the cheek. And I think he gets blessed with uh, a smaller lineage than, than Niall. Is but it he does all of his, something. All of his kids are going to be king, but he'll never be? Yeah. yeah, it's it's. A but really also, like, he can't have any water, and that's like a. It's a delayed response where she's like, "You won't be king, but all your kids will." Oh, amazing! Also, no water for you. No <laughs> water. Get it? That's the smallest thing. Can I give two of my lineage to be kings, but I can have some water, or is it three and none? Is none. that the only trade option? it off? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Is there any negotiation here? Um, yeah, that didn't seem to go well. I mean, I, I just love the fact that they they all end up the same. Like even telling it, you're kind of going, "How did they all go to the same place? Yeah. How did they all get there one after another?" Ah, uh, storytelling. I mean, Magic. what I love about this is the first thing that Niall does when he comes back, sees his mother and puts her in purple clothing, and like it's it's the first time that I remember in myths having a significant royal colour being displayed for a, for a high woman king or woman uh, or king for that matter. And it's just like, usually it's red gold and, and um, you know, dip, like emerald and all these lovely colours, but purple, very royal. Is it just kind of taking something from the Europeans there or something? I don't know. Well, Did you find anything, Ernie? So when I was listening to it, I thought that that was a throwaway line that you said she put in purple, but I knew, um, I kind of half remembered that there was something from like uh, Roman culture where they would, the Caesars would be dressed in purple and they would be the only ones that were allowed to do it. But apparently it goes back to like the Lebanon in the year 15, as far back as like 1500, those Phoenician kings, they used, uh, it was called Tyran purple from the city of Tyre in modern Ooh. Lebanon and they'd take it out of like mollusks and basically extract it and use it to turn into purple and because it was so difficult to do and apparently it was some weird dye that it like got brighter as it went on as opposed to faded over time so it was really it was only available to the elites because of how difficult it was to make and then as the years went on different cultures would put in laws that only the elites could wear it to kind of like separate them from from the, the other lads uh, and I kind of thought it was a that the Irish had picked that up. So apparently we were doing the same thing here In we were uh, using different Moloch's from the Atlantic to extract purple dye. And I don't know, was it a case that we picked it up from the Romans or, or uh, it probably would have made it as far as the Britons at that stage? Well, there was, there was an active trade route up and down, um, up near the west coast of Ireland to the Mediterranean, apparently. Yeah. Uh, in medieval times. I say medieval times, meaning I don't really know. That bit of history where I'm like, yeah, it's medieval Ireland probably. But there, and, and you know, this goes way, way, way back that like up and down the West Coast, which is why we have a lot of, you know, a lot of the prehistoric megalithic tombs are on the West. Whereas if people had actually all come to Ireland from the East and migrated across, you wouldn't get as many there. So there was, mm. there were settlements and there was a, there was a thriving trade route I know there's something um, that we've talked to Ushin about ages ago where Irish music is really heavily influenced, like Irish trad is really heavily influenced by traditional um, Middle Eastern music. And it was, a, it was that same um, Mediterranean and then on up trade route that we kind of apparently got it from. There was a whole lot of cultural exchange happening there. So it could have been, it could have been something that we picked up from them. And well, also cultural 
exchanges. That's the sort of phrase that Aaron would use for when the Vikings stole all of our women and brought them to Iceland. <laughs> it was a sort of meeting of minds, you know, a couple of people went on Erasmus to Iceland and never came back. Just decided to stay there out of their own free will. She saw a wonderful, handsome Scandinavian raider and she thought, I will deliberately go with him. <laughs> when you say it like that, maybe. I mean, like, you Okay, sure, ask, yes. How many Irishmen do you know? How many beautiful, tall Swedish men have you met? And you're like, yeah, I could I mean, see it. I could yeah. see it. It makes make sense. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, when you say like, it's all about praising. It's all well, about you know, praising. You could, you could retell it in different ways. Uh, there is definitely, yeah, myself and Aaron definitely have this where Aaron will usually go for the romantic take and I will usually go for the, have you cried enough lately take? <laughs> I would be like the world wall to wall is pretty shit. So I mean, like they were either could be like slave to a man in Ireland who's five foot two and freckly and pot bellied, or be a slave to some six foot two Viking with cool hair. Exactly. <laughs> How well do you like your husband that he's currently murdering? Not very much. Yeah. Um, Upgrade. I just want to go back a little bit there on on uh, where they got the purple from. Uh, what? How do they extract it from? Are these little, little slug things? Are they like yeah. sweet Like like a mollusk, like a a, a, a mollusk seashell. So that's why it's I say unlikely that people randomly. It seems really precise. They have to like crack a little hole in it, and they found like sites in Ireland where there's all these shells with a tiny little pinprick in them. So it's unlikely that two different people on the far sides of the world stumbled upon this really specific way of, of extracting purple. But uh, yeah, pretty, so could well have come on the trade route. Because I suppose like we kind of think all these times are like, yeah, the 1500 BC, 680, like it's all the same. That's a good like almost 2000 years between those. It's enough time for a bit of information to travel across Europe. So it's likely that they were getting it from the same or that they'd figured out how to do it from the Lebanese. Yeah, this is the thing. In my yeah. head, it's all the same. It's all one big kind of sloshy pale called the past. Yeah. And I don't really know don't. enough about it. Like in the yeah. year 4000, they'd be thinking about our time. Like they had wattle and dub in the year zero. And in 2020, they had bricks. I don't know how it happened. It's like overnight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Presumably overnight. Yeah. Did, uh, did anybody else think that Mongfin's ideas of uh, how to kill Doyle were pretty terrible? Like the like after the burning of like the uh, the forge, then she goes away and says, uh, to go fight each other, and then he'll come over and and just stab him, and that's it, and that'll work." And then like, that's that's her that's her great idea. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, cool. Also, she says like, and when like when anyone finds out, uh, just be like, "Oh, we stabbed the wrong person. Who are you trying to murder? That's still a bad thing. <laughs> that's still not acceptable." <laughs> Well, I was trying to murder my brother, but I accidentally murdered my half-brother. So no harm, no foul, right? That's how that works. And then she's like, directly afterwards, she's like, okay, what you should all do is go hunting and go up there together. Like, before they get to the hag, why don't they just stab him in the back? Maybe I'm showing too many of my cards now, what I would do in this situation. (laughs) But it's like, you've been given the objective now twice, kill him kill him straight and then they're like let's go for a picnic and go on a <laughs> mythical quest to kiss some old ladies you're like stop him stop him while he's kissing the hag <laughs> plenty of opportunities very distracting I mean I, I think it, again, it goes to show that like who the real puppet master of the sons is is in Mountain and how they're kind of like don't really know what to do and they're a little bit uh, what will I do okay ma'am yeah I'll just start a fight over here oh I'll do that yeah sure no problem ma'am um, but you know, they're, they're, they're not, they don't quite seem to be very smart. You did, however, remind me. I'm not entirely sure that they want to be king. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get that impression with the lads as well, that they're very used to being told what to do by their mammy. And that's why she wants them to be king or one of them to be king because mm. they continue. How about like, bringing two or seven litres of beer out of a burden building makes you think he doesn't want to be king? <laughs> That strikes me as a man who's stepping up to the plate, looking for responsibility. Yeah, I've got my giant barrel of beer and my bellows, and I think if I put the bellows in the beer, and then like we could be onto something here, lads. Art and science. Art and science. He's happy. <laughs> it's, it's a yeah. massive like 
beer funnel. It's genius. It's like crazy. Maybe, I, maybe that's what they're doing. Never thought of that. It is a genius idea. It's wow, like, wow. <laughs> we elected the wrong king. We yeah, imagine yeah, where we could well, be today if we had have had the beer king back then. Because it would country. suck the beer up as you open it and then just pour uh, it out. It's brilliant. It's perfect. Amazing brilliant. innovation in that lad. Yeah, no, I think he wanted to be inventing. Um, you know what is that game where you drink the beer from the hat? Oh, um, yes. alcoholism. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, there's another story from Mangfin where she. So apparently another version of the passing on the legacy is that uh, Ikman dies and Mongfin gets her brother Crimthon in. But when he goes over to Scotland for a visit or something, uh, her sons take over. Now and then when they come back, he set, she sets up a feast between the sons and Crimthon and plans to poison Crimthon during the feast. But he is rightly enough suspicious of her, so he doesn't drink the poison. He won't drink the drink unless she drinks it first. So she just straight up poisons herself so that he'll poison himself to let the kids be king, which is a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty baller move. Or it's, it's very okay. Halloween of her anyway. I, 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 I reiterate, she's a bad bitch. Man. That's, that's pretty bad. That, that's, a, that's a killer move. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. <laughs> just, yeah. The stone. She's, just... she's got the least ambitious kids ever. She's like, all you need to do is, is kill one dude. And you'll yeah. have like unlimited power. We will have a stranglehold on this whole country, and they're all just like, because eh. they they didn't know it couldn't fill in the gaps between these two bits. But yes, after she kills herself, Niall becomes king anyway. So <laughs> I don't know. And like Brian is second in command. So even after the mother like takes one for the team and literally poisons herself and her brother, they're like, Niall, any? Do you know what to do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're oh, so yeah. we're so browbeaten by our mother. We have no yeah. will of our own. Will you tell us what to do now, forever, please? But that does seem like what's happened. That it's like she's been in power, like she's been in control of them for so long. None of them, like Brian's the closest one, and even he doesn't seem like fully with it. No. <laughs> I have been sent a good article there by Maria. Thanks for uh, sending that to us um, about for about advice about Mong. Um, I'll, I'll link it in in below, and it's the, the legend of the witch queen who inspired Halloween. So that's been found, and we can all read that in our own time. Um, and so that's going to go. I'll, I'll put it in the, in the links below. Um, before we end up, though, I think you just reminded me, Jason. I never men- mentioned Torna. And he's quite a character in this that kind of picks up Niall, has that prophecy, and then he very significantly puts his hand on Niall's shoulder. It's, don't, don't fight with the sons of Monk and let them be. And, and that again goes to the kind of cultural respect that we had at that stage for poets and druids and this kind of elevation in class and this seeming kind of like all-knowing character who's not quite the same status as the druid, but I don't know, Poet, druid, was there a big distinction in that, Sarika, or am I missing something? Are I, you there, Sarika? Do, do either? I I don't know. I'm probably gonna I'm gonna pass that over to the two historians because I think like they're they're of they're both of the educated class, which is the filla, and they're different types of the educated class. But what do you guys think? Or what do you guys? When think I about? when I read it first, I was kind of thinking like uh, James Clarence Mangan, like poet walking around with like a cape and a hat that's like look from these from Harry Potter and he just like he's drinking pints in the Bernard Shaw and he's smoking joints and he's telling you about all these great like, he seems like a lad in the dole uh, don't be listening to him don't be like he's just he's been like he's been a government artist for 20 years but then you start thinking about it you're like well yeah because of druids and storytellers like town to town like storytellers it's not so much poet as it is like uh, like a historian at the time like keeping alive the mythology back then so maybe but also it's weird again to pick up a, do, a kid and be like you're gonna be king you're like I would I don't I wouldn't listen to that man nowadays <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I mean, maybe we've just lost too much respect for the poet class but uh, I feel like we would disregard his opinion pretty quick but also, I, when he put his shoulder on the kids, on, uh, on Niall, to be like, leave the boys to fight it out themselves. How long did they keep fighting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had that same question. <laughs> they don't Three days later. <laughs> yeah, because there's nobody else there. It's just like, Bongfin's gone now. 
she's like, go back there and fight until he comes over and kills you. Only other two people around her are the druid, who's been highly disrespected. So he's probably pretty done with the situation now. Pretty over it. And then it's just Niall and Thorna going, okay, we're staying out of it. So they're just like, play fighting for like, until someone dies. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah. But, it's old. Um, good reason to not make any of them king. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's there's another part of the story then about uh, well, Harry Harry dies that involves another like druid slash poet. And oh. I was thinking the same thing. Like, is it? So there's a guy called Laidcon, and I and I couldn't figure out if he was a druid or a poet. I assume he was casting spells. Um, as opposed to giving poems, because it talks about how, like, he gets in a beef with Leinster, and then it said that he like uh, cast a spell and like nothing grew in Leinster. But then when I read on, it turns out that he was just. So the quote was like, "Thereupon, for a whole year, the poet kept satirizing them and lampooning the men of Leinster, and so that neither grass nor corn grew with them, nor a leaf to the end of the year. How good of a rap!" Does it need to be? How good of like a... The rap battles in ancient Ireland must have been fucking amazing. Like kings were deposed, crops withered, people died of satire. Just of sat, standing on a hill, spitting lyrical fire and the trees are like, I'm out, I'm done. This is... Maybe we can Ooh. get it back. We can get it back in 2020. We'll have Versatile and the Rubber Bandits go head to head and that can be... <laughs> <laughs> phone in kneecap from Belfast as well. Yeah. <laughs> the boys I don't understand I what they're saying. That. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> don't you get us embroiled in a rap battle with kneecap, Jason? Do you take that back? Maybe, maybe that's why it's not working magically anymore. Maybe we need them to slow down a little bit so we can understand them. Maybe then the magic would come back. <laughs> Come here, you did mention, uh, Kev, uh, the, the death of Noel, and this is something that has like some historic, a lot of historic confusion. And even when I was looking up the myth, there was little links and little uh, other uh, parts of the story about how he was over in Europe, uh, how he went all over the place, and how some of the hostages have a relation, now you found this, to the, how we named the counties. To explain yeah, well, this is, um, so I, there's a lot of different reports of how he died, which is probably not important. He just died. It was a thousand <laughs> years ago. He was going to be dead anyway. But, and so this is where it starts to cross into history and myth because his sons, so the O'Neills, like the of Neils, the son of, of Niall, they set the tone in Ireland for like the next, six, from the 6th to the 10th century, for pretty much 600 rows in the trot, they are providing high kings and they, so one of his sons is called Cunnel Gulbin. I have no idea who the mother is. She doesn't get a mention in this, but anyway, oh. <laughs> there's a Cunnel Gulbin, and he goes on to have a big family known as the Kene Cunnel or the Kindred of Cunnel. And they set up a kingdom for themselves in the northwest of the country known as Tyr Cunnel, uh, the land of Cunnel, which is now Donegal. Ah. Uh, and I only got this, myself and Jason were doing a, a, a series on the like the War of the Two Kings in the 1600s when like William and James and there's a, the, the leader of Ireland at the time is called Richard Talbot and he's given the earldom of Tyrconnell and we were trying to figure out who Connell was and this is it. It goes back to like a thousand years before it was uh, the land of one of Niall's sons and then last weekend I'm living in Inchicore at the minute and I was walking around and I only copped on that like every street in Inchicore and every neighbourhood is Tyrconnell something, Tyrconnell Avenue, Tyrconnell Park and all this. So it's all going back to one of Niall's sons. That uh, it, it could be a giant coincidence. It could be a giant coincidence. It just it could be real well off. It could be a different here kind of altogether. But uh, uh, definitely no expert. But the whole naming of places usually yeah. has two or three or even five different stories because it's so yeah. freaking old. And then it got anglicised and got completely fucked around as well because yeah. then the pronunciation was different and the new Irish versus the old Irish was different again. So you're just well, trying to. Well, there's another one about which is exactly that thing is. A similar, uh, another son called Owen, and he has the, a family called Kenna Owen, and they were pushed by Connell's descendants over to the west of the country. So they set up Tyr Owen, which became Trone, which is the land of Owen. 
But then when I was looking at the translation of that, so it's Tear Owen, E-O-G-H-A-N, and then we were translating it into English, it's obviously like Land of Owen. But I gave the translation of like Land of O-W-E-N, as like, you've, you've translated it too far, translated half of, but, but even when you translate it into English, you still can't be like, it's still not Owen. It's E-O-I-N at a stretch. It's like, bring it back a level. I know we, I can only understand it in English, but not that much. But, uh, so, so between Tyrone and Donegal, so like the, the O'Neills are like big in the north, but they seem to be the origin for Tyrone and Donegal anyway. Oh, and cool. then, yeah. 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 Amazing. Amazing. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, all of these things make, make me go, wait, hang on. What? Sure, like, we well, keep on. Whole, um, it's a whole area of folklore is like the Din Shanicus and the, the, like, his, the stories behind the place names of Ireland. And like you said, Aaron, it's, it's very scrambled because of things being anglicized and also things having many different versions of how they got that name. But it's mm. like fascinating. It's really cool. Listen, lads, thanks so much for doing the research of that, finding way more than I had expected and um, chatting shite with us. It's been very, very entertaining. Um, Kevin, I hope you're all right in Shakur. Jason, I hope you're keeping well over in Texas. And uh, so, okay, it's good to see you. I know we're all separated, but connected. So we're trying to keep up our uh, social interactions while minimizing our... Um, what Aaron means is he's going to go full crazy over the next two weeks because he has to isolate again. <laughs> There'll be a podcast every day for the next oh, two weeks. Oh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there probably will. <laughs> the next podcast, The Collective History of Ireland. In <laughs> It's going to be one podcast. It's going to be 57 hours long. Yeah. One take. Just, Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. I got my espresso. I'm good. I am good to go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Colin, I need a few spuds on the side. You grand. And that's very Okay, listen, no, thanks so much. We'll be releasing this podcast soon. Uh, thanks everyone to join in the live stream. I didn't keep an eye on it. Was there anybody I meant to check and ask you? Did people message in? Should we say hello? Read comments out? Did that happen? Um, it's fine if it didn't. Well, we could we'll yes, and just be, cover our bases and be like, hey, John and Mary and Moira and Philip and Finton and uh, how many can we do? And we'll, we'll, <laughs> We've we'll got cover on. actual people who commented. Jasper, hello again. Maria, hey, Kira, Sunbeast66. All so, that was my first guess. So there you go. <laughs> Sunbeast, of course, uh, Sunbeast66. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. Um, we haven't, I haven't quite gotten my head around multitasking enough to be able to actually read the comments while we're doing the podcast. But, you know, it, it's fine. We're getting there. We're getting there. This is a thing that we're trying to do to pump up the uh, subscriptions on the YouTube page. So if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. And uh, listen, if, if you enjoyed uh, the lads, Shy Talk, we'll go over to the Shy Talk uh, Irish History Podcast and subscribe to them too. Listen, lads, we'll be chatting to you. Thanks a million. And Slán. Thanks so much for joining us. Good luck. Good luck. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much for listening. This was our first collaboration, but hopefully it won't be the last collaboration that we do with another podcast. So if you have any suggestions for people we should team up with, let us know. This podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan and the lads at Chite Talk history podcast you can find out more about what we do on our website by going to candlelittales.ie follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at candlelittales and for videos and live streams like and subscribe to our channel candlelittales youtube which also now has a candlelittales for kids playlist hashtag candlelittletales <laughs> go on there now ahead and just subscribe to the youtube channel I'll just pause one moment to give you a chance to do that because, you know, I'm not going anywhere and it would really help. <laughs> Liking and subscribing to our channel really helps us grow and get to more people. But if you're able to give us more direct support, you can also chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash candletales. Or you can just make a one-off donation by going to the PayPal button on our website. Now... 
we really would like to hear from you. So get your questions in and please don't hold back from asking us directly for leaving a comment or a question below in the comments section. Uh, we really want to get back to people. So if there are stories out there that you would like, let us know. We'll try and do it. We also really want to encourage people to try and tell these stories themselves. So by all means, go out and tell these stories, spread them far and wide. Thank you and a special thank you to Kevin Larney and Jason Brennan from the Shite Talkers, the Irish History Podcast. If you haven't listened to them yet, go over and check them out. And we'll be back with you next time on the Candle Tales Podcast. As always, keep your candle lit. You. In Irish, the word for king is ri, and the word for queen is banrian. But you might better translate that word to woman king. Kruaka was the woman king of Connacht. Though little is known of her. She built the fort that was named for her. On the plain of Kruakon that was named also for her. And that place bears her name to this day.